Good morning. Good to see everybody. Glad you came out today. Big weekend as we get ready uh, for next weekend, actually. Hurricane Irma put us off the path. And uh, so next weekend, we're launching myglasshouse.com, kind of naked and not afraid. Did you see the glass house as you came in? Yeah, Steph and I get to live in there for 14 days. Yeah, we're so excited, I can't tell you. Um, and you say, well, why in the world would you do such a stupid thing? Because we want to partner with you. We want to give you a tool to, to, to get above the white noise so that you can invite someone to come and check out Potential Church, to go to myglasshouse.com and to talk about the fact that the Bible really does have something to say about relationships and uh, how we can live those things, whether it be with our spouse, our girlfriend, guy friend, whether it be with our kids or our parents. So it's going to be a really fun series, I think an encouraging series, but you and I have to invite. That's why we printed those cards, is so that you could hand them out to the folks you do life with. And when they say, you know, that sounds stupid, you can say, well, come check it out. And um, it's going to be fun. So that starts next week. So I hope you'll come. The Viva tickets, all of that. It's going to be a big weekend. Got some surprises from the worship team. And, of course, we have an incredible uh, worship uh, team. I told you last week, I remember that uh, Brooke um, auditioned for The Voice. So she's going to, that's this Monday, okay? So you want to watch this Monday? Now, I wanted to update you with what is happening um, with uh, all the opportunities we've had because of this uh, active hurricane season. We have been ministering in Broward and in Davie uh, and just so many different ways. Um, And then this week, they opened up so we could go to the Keys. So we actually were able to get into the Keys. We've got some resources down there, you know, chainsaws, oil, those kind of things, gas, as well as water and food, and then partnering with some of the local churches. And I don't know, if you haven't gone to our Facebook or some of our social media, I encourage you to do that because it's so encouraging to see some of the stories, you know, some of the folks who were uh, helping. We, we can't rebuild their house in a week or a month. But, you know, if you've ever been through something really, really difficult, it's nice to know you're not alone. It's nice to know because the world kind of moves on, right? Everybody's watching the news when the hurricane comes, but a few weeks after, everybody's gone. And for us to be able to go down and say, look, we're here, we care, and we want to help goes a really long way um, in helping and encouraging. So there's some of those stories on social media. Now, the other thing I told you was uh, Cuba, of course, was devastated as a result of Irma. And this week, Pastor Danny... Uh, along with a few other folks, are going to go to Cuba. And it's kind of a, a trip to go and see exactly what the needs are and exactly how we can help. They're going to leave on Wednesday, come back on Friday. If you would like to go with them, okay, Friday, they'll be there Friday, Thursday, excuse me, Wednesday, Thursday, and then come home on Friday. It's $1,000 that pays for the, the airplane, the hotel, the food, all the stuff that you need, but we'd love for uh, a lot of folks to go so when you come back, we can, you know, it's not just a video that people watch. They get to hear uh, just more people sharing what the need is, sharing um, what the people are worried about or concerned about. So if you've got three days that you could put aside 
to go and encourage the folks with in Cuba, but also see what some of the needs are. Uh, Pastor Danny's going to be right up here at the front after the service, and he would love to talk with you. That's this week. You know, we've been working because when you get to Cuba, it's like, where are the supplies? Because if you've ever been there, they don't have much. They have very little. And we did uh, find a way to get some containers over there. Now, there's still some bureaucracy that we have to go through, but it looks like it's going to cost around $5,000 for us to be able to get a container over there. That's empty, but at least we can get it there. We can get, then get those resources to be able, or supplies to be able to help people. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been generous along the way um, that has allowed us to be able to do what we've done up to this point. Hasn't been one person with a, you know, a giant, giant check. It's been average people like you and me just doing what we could to help people. So I, I, I really do appreciate that because of the number of people whose lives are impacted as a result of that generosity. The, the, the other thing is uh, I was contacted this week, you know, about Puerto Rico. Maria went through Puerto Rico and caused a lot of damage in um, Saddleback Church talk to us about doing, uh, helping to rebuild there, maybe even doing a meal over the Thanksgiving holiday there for folks. So we're looking into being able to, to partner with a few churches to help in Puerto Rico as well. It, it, it seems that these are opportunities, just like the glass house, to, to, to get above the noise. All of this um, hurricane season has been a way to say, you don't have to hear, listen to what we say, but you can't deny what we do. And uh, so, again, I appreciate that. And I just encourage you, this is my prayer as we go into the end of this year and next year, is that we'll be consistently consistent in our service and in our generosity. Because it's kind of like with Cuba. Be, that's not our strength right now is to be consistent, gen, uh, consistently generous. So it's hard to know what we can commit to because I, I, I don't, we don't have a good base of, of, of what um, people are going to give or how we're going to be generous. So my prayer is that we'll have a consistency of generosity. I did want to mention, you know, I told you last week that the, the mayor thanked us for helping out. We got a certificate from the Broward's Sheriff's Office Deputies Association. And it's a certificate of appreciation. Here's what it says. Presented to potential church in recognition of your dedicated assistance to the men and women of, law, of the law enforcement profession. Um, so that's kind of what that looks like. <clears throat> and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of a church that is making a difference like that. Aren't you, right? Because there's... <coughs> Have you guys ever fell before? I keep everything. Oh, you kiss it and make it better. You know, there's actually a scripture I wanted to show you. It says, for a good man may fall seven times and get back up again. Now you're trying to decide, did I fall on purpose or? <laughs> I did fall on purpose, but I didn't mean to skin this same knee once again. <clears throat> but you know, I'm not the only person who has ever fell. Here's, here's a few more people. Let's watch.
All right. You know what I've discovered? It's not any fun to fall, is it? And we, we all have. We've all fell in our lives. We've hit the ground. We've skinned up our knees. And I want to spend some time this weekend talking about that, talking about how we respond to those who fall in our lives and what we do when we fall. And when I say that, what am I really talking about? Well, I'm talking about failure. What, what do you do when you screw up, when you blow it? There's a story in the New Testament that tells us a lot about failure and how to respond to it. It's found in John chapter 8. So if you got your Bible, or you can go to our app actually, okay, because the outline doesn't have it. They're going to put it up here on the screen in just a moment. But let's read just a few of these verses, okay? John 8 says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, he sat down, and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And the law of Moses says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? Ultimately, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Now, this story is really about how these religious leaders are trying to get Jesus to say something that ultimately will end up in him getting into trouble. But it's also a story about this woman. And I think we can identify with her, don't you? I mean, when you fall, isn't there a loneliness to falling? Right? You could fall in a room full of people, and yet you're the only one who fell. And and, and so there's that sense of, of, of loneliness. This woman was caught in adultery. She's brought to the church, and it's kind of like she's thrown down in the middle of this circle. And they look to Jesus, and they're like, well, what are we supposed to do with her? The law says we're supposed to stone her or take her life. And you can almost sense that they had those stones or rocks in their hands ready at any moment. And there's just a loneliness in that. I mean, she was guilty. She was caught in the act. You can't commit adultery by yourself. There was somebody else as well. I think when you fall, there is that sense of loneliness. She wasn't dressed her best. I mean, they caught her in the act. I'm sure they didn't give her time. The text tends to lend itself to they grabbed her basically just out of the bed. And she, I just sense her laying there trying to, in some way, appear modest. But yes, also embarrassed. When you fall, you ever been to Walmart or somewhere and somebody trips? And when they trip, what's the first thing people do? They look around, don't they? Did anybody see me? You know? And then they, and then the media, I just act like nothing happened, you know? Because right? it's embarrassing. It, it, it's embarrassing to fall. And it's embarrassing to screw up. I mean, even though you made the decision, I mean, it's still embarrassing. And, and also, everybody knows the betrayal. I don't know. If, if they knew about it beforehand, right? Adultery means that she was married or he was married. And, and I, I assume they kept it a secret, right? They kind of like snuck around and communicated this way and that way. When the church that Steph and I started in Arkansas years ago, we built a few buildings. And it was, it was like in the, the edge of town where town was growing towards. And if you went early in the morning, if I'd get up and go to church to the office like at 630 in the morning, there would always be a couple of cars parked out behind the church. And they weren't praying. And it was always embarrassing when I'd walk up to them and say, you know, how you doing? 
put your clothes on and love Jesus, okay? <laughs> kind of deal. It, I don't know if that's this kind of situation, but I know in the moment in which she was put placed there in front of everybody, everybody knew about her betrayal. They knew what she had done. They knew, you know, the spouse knew, the family knew. It was all out in the open. And, and there's just a sense of failure and embarrassment with that and a sense of guilt because she did it. I mean, he did it too, but she she did it. She knew she wasn't supposed to, and she did. And when you and I fall so many times, we fall because we did it. We went somewhere we shouldn't have went. We said something we shouldn't have said. A relationship began. We screwed up financially, whatever the fall is. But that doesn't stop us from feeling the guilt and the sense of failure. I'll never have a good marriage now. I'll never be the kind of dad I wanted to be. I'll never have the kind of business I had hoped to have one day or the financial freedom I was dreaming of. It's so easy to feel all of these different emotions. It's just no fun to fail. There's nothing enjoyable about falling. But here's my question is how are we to treat those who fall around us? How are you to treat and how am I to treat those people who fall in our family? What about the folks at work? I, I, I look at this story and I say, well, how did they treat this woman? And of course, we know they put rocks in their hands. They were ready to stone her. They were judgmental. They were critical. They were gossips. And I'm afraid that a lot of us treat those who fall in our lives the same way. I mean, how much time this week did you spend being critical of the people you work with? or being critical of your supervisor or the manager that determines what schedule you're supposed to have? How much gossip did you participate in this week where you were telling this person about that person and what they did? And you're like, Troy, but you don't understand. They really are guilty, and they were in this case as well. I'm afraid that many times we respond the same way that they did. We gossip, we judge, we criticize. You can imagine if this would have been 2017, that everybody would have had their phone out, right? Posting it to their fake, you're not going to believe what happened at church this weekend. Some of them would have took selfies. Some would have been broadcasting Facebook Live, you know? And everybody would have had commentary. You don't have to go to very many different types of social media to see that there's a lot of judgment going on in our world. There's a lot of uh, criticism happening in our world. But is that what the scripture teaches? If you and I are here and we call ourselves Christ followers, how are we to respond to people who trip, people who fall, that literally do something wrong? Well, let's look and see. Let's start where, how did Jesus respond to this woman? In John chapter 8, verse number 8, it says, But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again. He said, okay, but the one who has never sinned, be, throw the first stone. So who can be critical of their supervisor? Who can be um, judgmental of their family? Who can be negative about the place in which they work? Only those who are perfect. Only those who have never fallen themselves. Only those who have never missed the bullseye of perfection themselves. 
They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again. He said, okay, the one who has never sinned, the, they can criticize. They can be judgmental. They can throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again. He wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Then Jesus said, and what are those next three words? Neither do I. Those are pretty powerful words, aren't they? Was she guilty? Of course she was. They caught her in the act. And Jesus looks at her and he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I, I wrote in my journal there that Jesus criticized or challenged the, the, the critics and he forgave the sinner. He challenged the critics and he forgave the sinner. And I just wonder if you and I shouldn't do the same thing. If we shouldn't challenge those who are judgmental and critical, those who gossip and talk and have mercy and grace and compassion, <laughs> that's so much more difficult to do, isn't it? It's so much easier to pile on. It's so much easier to pick up a, a rock and throw your own rock of guilt or your own rock of condemnation at somebody. But to challenge those who have rocks in their hands and instead show compassion to the one who did screw up, who did fall, who did make a bad decision. The scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, it says, don't let even one rotten word seep out of your mouths. That's pretty clear. Instead, offer only fresh words that build others up when? What does it say? When they need it most. And when do you need it most? When do you need help up? When you've fallen. Right? You, you don't need help up when you're up. You need help up when you're down. And the scripture says the way in which we give help is how? By not letting one, one rotten word come out of our mouth, but instead all of our words be encouraging that reach out in order to help people up. That's what the scripture says. That's what Jesus did. He says, it helps, those good words will communicate grace to those who hear them. Right, when somebody physically falls, how do we respond? Right, we'll, we'll run up to them, unless a potential church, you guys didn't do anything when I fell, just look at me. All right? But in other places, right, you run up, and, and, and you don't say, I knew you'd do that, you stupid woman, Right? No, you, you, you don't call your buddy and say, you're not going to believe what he did. He, no, you reach your hand, you help him up. You don't ask him, what political party are you part of before I help you up? Because I only help out, you know. No, you immediately respond. And that's just what God's calling us to do. Saying, hey, stop pointing your finger at those who have fallen. Stop judging those who have fallen. Stop condemning those who have fallen. Stop making fun of those who have fallen. Stop criticizing those who have fallen. And instead, reach out to them. And the way in which we do that, according to the scripture, is our, is our words. And, and, and the Bible teaches us that, that's, that not only are we supposed to help people who have fallen up, it's dangerous not to do so. Let, let me show you. In Matthew chapter 7... Verse 1, Jesus is talking here. And Jesus says, 
If you judge other people, then you will find that you too are being what? Judged. Indeed, you will be judged by the very standards to which you hold other people. In other words, if all of a sudden you find yourself being judged and condemned and criticized, what is he saying? He's saying that that may be the result of the way in which you've judged others. There's a danger in being critical. There's a danger in being judgmental because I'll be judged by the same standard. He says, why is it that you see the dust in your brother's or your sister's eye, but you can't see it in your own? Don't ignore the wooden plank in your eye while you criticize the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyelashes. The type of that type of criticism and judgment is a sham. Remove the plank from your own eye and then perhaps you'll be able to see clearly how to help your brother flush out his sawdust. I wonder, I just wonder how much time do we spend every day being critical, judgmental of the people we work with, the family we have, or the neighbors. Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words. Get rid of all that stuff and slander. And it's important to know, slander, when it's, what is slander? Well, according to dictionary.com, it's to injure by speaking ill of. So slander is that if we go out here in the lobby and I'm talking to you, okay? And I'm talking to you about, let's say, somebody over here. And what I say about them causes you to think poorly of them. That's slander. Is it when what I say to you hurts them as a result of your perspective or the way that you look at them? You say, but it's true. It doesn't matter. The Scripture is saying don't do that. Don't talk to other people about somebody else in a way that would make them think differently of them. He says, he says, don't do it. He says, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Let's, let's just read that out loud. I think it would be good for us, okay? Let's look at it again. You ready? Here we go. Instead, be forgiving one another. If we were to do those three things, be kind to one another, tender-hearted or compassionate to one another, and forgive one another. And then it says that the reason we can forgive one another is why? Is because we have been forgiven by God in the same way in which he has forgiven us. See, if you and I are critical people, you know what that says to the world? You know what a judgmental person is proclaiming to the world? Is that I don't see my own sin. I have a misunderstanding of my own failures. Because the scripture says we've all screwed up, we've all fell. The problem is, is I compare myself to somebody that, you know, I think I'm doing a lot better than. So then when I look at you and I see you fall, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe, can you believe what they did? I, I knew they were going to, just crazy that they did that. that and, and we just go on and we point fingers and we send texts and we make phone calls and we do all those kind of things. And why do we do that? We do that because we have overestimated our own goodness. We have spiritually elevated ourselves beyond where we're at. See, if we re really understood what God's done for all of us, 
Whether or not you've done what they did or not matters. The scripture says that if you and I have missed the bullseye of perfection in just one place, we're guilty of all of it. My sin is the reason that Jesus had to come, put on skin, nails in his hands, a crown of thorns on his head, a spear in his side. And when I see myself (laughs) inside of that reflection, I'm not near as quick to point a finger and tell you what your problem is. I, I have a grace that I've been given. See, you can always tell folks who have a real understanding of the cost or the price of their sin, they're grace-filled people. They're compassionate people. They're kind people. First Peter 3.8 says, summing it up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp tongue sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing, and then don't miss this part, you'll also what? Get a blessing. And remember, if you were here last weekend, we talked about how the word blessing in the original language carries the idea of happiness, all the different forms of happiness. So what is that scripture saying? It's saying that when you and I show uh, compassion as opposed to judgment, when we show tenderheartedness instead of criticism, we are doing what? We are positioning, uh, positioning ourselves to experience blessing from God. To have a happy life. See, I think maybe some of us are living way below where God created us to be. We're not near as happy as we could be. We're not near as much joy because we're critical and we're judgmental. And as a result, the blessing that God says is available to us, we're not experiencing. Troy, but they were guilty. So was this woman. It says, whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good. How many of us would like to see our day fill up with good? I'm in, right? I mean, we all want that. He says, well, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. If you have your Bible open or your app, highlight that. Nothing, nothing. Say nothing. Right? And then he says what? Snub evil and cultivate good. Now think about this. We not only have the responsibility to not be critical, to not be negative, to not be judgmental, but also to snub that when we see it. In other words, to, to step into it when you see it at work or in your family. See, some of you are going to go home today. Well, all of you are going to go home today, I assume. And, and when you go home, there's, gonna, there's somebody that lives there that's critical. They're judgmental. They're judgmental of your family. They're judgmental of the political leaders. They're judgmental and critical about where they work. And they're going and and to speak into that. And the moment you hear that, you have a decision to make. is either to participate. And it's easy to participate when who they're being critical about you don't like, isn't it? Right? The neighbor you don't like. The neighbor that's arrogant. Rubs everything they get in your face. Their kids are the best. Their wife is the best. Their husband is the best. Their dog is even the best. You know, their yard is the best. I mean, everything they do, they think is the best. And then something happens. And the neighbor from across the street comes over and says, let's have coffee. Did you hear about? And you fill in the blank. And everything inside of you is like, no. Mm, 
but I'd really like to pray for him, so could you tell me what it is that's happened, right? There's that tendency. And the scripture's saying that don't do that. Why? Because as a result, it causes us to miss the blessing. He says, if you want to embrace life and see a day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing out of evil hurt, uh, or hurtful. Snub evil, or in other words, shut it down at work, at lunch, when they start talking about the supervisor, or the manager, and the way they lead people, or the bonuses they gave out, or the, the way they make the schedule, or whatever it is. Challenge it or walk away from it. Run after peace for all your worth. God looks on all of this with what? Approval. Listening and responding to what he's asked. Listen, what does that say? That God answers the prayers of those who do what? Show compassion. Those who are not judgmental. Those who are careful about what they see. Those who are always reaching out to those who have screwed up. Those who have failed and helping them get back to their feet. But he goes on, he says, but he turns his back on those who do evil things. And what evil things is he talking about? What's well, in the context of this passage? Those who, you just read up there, those who are not agreeable, those who are not sympathetic, those who are not loving, those who are not compassionate, those who are not humble. He turns his back on them. And that's what he did in John 8, didn't he? Right? They came and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, and they're talking and talking and Jesus just ignores them. He doesn't speak to them. He speaks to the, to, the, to the woman. And I'm afraid, again, that some of us are not <clears throat> experiencing the closeness with God that we once had simply because somewhere along the way we become critical and judgmental. Gossip, negative. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 says, And make it your goal to lead a peaceful life. And then read those next four words out loud with me, would you? Oh, let's read it. Here we go. Here we go. Make it your goal to lead a peaceful life. Read it with me. Mind. Yeah. You like that one, right? Mind your own. Some of you have been waiting a long time to say that. Mind your own business. You know what that scripture is saying? There are things that happen in this world that are just none of your business. They're none of my business. It, it, it says, mind your own business. Keep your hands busy in your own work. Stop worrying about why your coworker was able to afford that car. I, I grew up, like I told you, in a small town of Paragould, Arkansas. About 12,000 people, and, and maybe you grew up in a small town. And can I tell you, anybody that's wealthy in a small town is a drug dealer. <laughs> well, that's what I was told, right? Because, because there's no way. I mean, there's no way they got wealthy and I didn't. They must be a drug dealer. The scripture says, mind your own business. It has nothing to do with you. Stop worrying about it. Stop being critical about it. Focus on what your calling is. Focus on what your purpose is. How are we to treat those who are going to fall in our families and in our workplaces, in our church? Right? Because everybody falls. Presidents fall. Pastors fall. Leaders fall. Parents fall. Well, what about if you're the one that falls? What about when you trip or when you screw up? Well, what, what did Jesus do? Let's look back again at our story. John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Then, God, uh, then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, remember we read it a moment ago, where are your accusers? 
Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, say it out loud again with me, those three words, neither do I. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, if you're here and you've got skinned knees, if you're here and you've hit the ground, if you're here and you've made a bad decision and you've failed, isn't it good to know that Jesus says, neither do I. Because what is it that we feel so often when we fall? Condemnation. People looking down on us as if they've never experienced anything like that. As if they're better than us. As if they've never sinned holier than us. Jesus, I, I, I don't condemn you. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's powerful words. Because we've all fallen. Scripture says there are none that haven't fell. There are none who are not righteous. He says, neither do I go and sin no more. And what I put in, in my notes here is that Jesus forgave her past, but he pushes her into the future. Do you notice that? He says, I forgive you. You, you did it. <laughs> You're guilty. And, and, but I'm going to forgive you of your past. And he says, what? Go and sin no more. Why? Because your life is in the future. And that's what God would declare to you today. Did you screw up? Did you fall? Did you make a horrible decision? Did you turn your back on wisdom? Did you scrape your knees? God would say, look, I forgive you for what you've done in the past. Now get up and go into the future because there is still a life in the future. As long as your heart beats and your lungs are taking in oxygen, you can still live your destiny, accomplish your purpose, and experience your dreams. Why? Because Jesus paid for my grew up on the cross a long time ago. And he's the one that has that authority to say, go. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 says, forget what happened in the past and do not dwell on the events from long ago. For I'm going to do, and this is the part I like, something new. We like new stuff, don't we? Anybody got the new iPhone 8? Three services, nobody's got one yet. I feel sorry for Apple. But how many of you are going to get the 10 or the X? You don't want to raise your hand, right? Because it's like, uh... but anyways, it's exciting, right? They, they, they do all these news coverage and all these videos and all this stuff. It's just something new, even though it might not be a lot of difference between the old and the new one. Something about new. And that scripture says, that what is God going to do in my life? Give me something new, fresh start, a new beginning. Yeah, I hit the ground. I scraped my knees. What I did was wrong. But I'm getting a, a new beginning. And there's a story in the Old Testament by a, a prophet by the name of Jonah. God came to Jonah. He said, okay, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them about me. Nineveh was the most wicked nation you could imagine they they hurt people for fun they'd take people while they were alive put them on these big stick sharp sticks cover them in oil and light them up like candles at night just to just to torment them and, and Jonah's like I'm not I don't want to go I don't want them to know you God I want them to go to hell do you have anybody like that in your life it's like ah oh, you know heaven for them 
It's like, I, I don't want to. I don't want to. And he didn't. And then there's this, there's this phrase that's so powerful. And here's what it says. And God came to Jonah a second time. Isn't it amazing that we serve the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time, who spoke the world into existence, God, who will humble himself and come to you a second time. He doesn't look at you down on the ground and say, well, I tried to tell you. He comes to us a second time and he says, I want to do something new. Now, I, I wrote this in my journal. It doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with your past. You do. But it does mean that your future doesn't have to be determined by your past. It even means more than that. God says that what he will do with your past, well, you have to deal with the issues of your past and the, the, the fact that you have fell to the ground. Yes, you have to deal with all that, but God says he will redeem it. In other words, God says that what the enemy is meant for evil, God will actually take and propel you into the future with it. God will use the bad decision that I have made and what I can learn from that to, to leverage that so that I can succeed into the future. Your dreams are not finished, according to the Scripture. God wants to do something new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become what? A new person. A second, a second chance a fresh start, a new beginning, the old life, the screw-up, the bad decision, the, the financial wreck, the relational fallout, it is gone. And a new life, a fresh start has begun. In other words, it's time to get up again. I think that's the reason God brought some of you here. Is that you fell, you skinned up your knees. I mean, you hit the ground and you hit the ground hard. And you have felt the condemnation of people. You have felt the judgment and criticism of people. You have felt the loneliness of your decision. But yet the all-powerful God says, you need to get up. And you can get up by my power. Not your skills, not your gifts, not your talents. It's my power. It's time to get up and go after what you were created to do. And that's why you've heard a lot in the last few days or last few weekends about how this is World Baptism Day. Why is that such a big deal? God does not give Potential Church a commission based on the number of people who get baptized. Potential Church does not give me a commission based on the number of people who get baptized. So why in the world would it matter to me or to any other pastor or leader here at Potential Church whether or not you get baptized? Why would that matter? The reason that it matters is because baptism is a picture of the very thing we've spent all this time on. And remember what it said in Proverbs 24, 16, for a good man may fall even seven times, but get back up again. The Old Testament says, though I fall, I will rise again. And that is a proclamation that, yes, I have tripped, but I will rise again. See, baptism is a picture of that. It is a reminder or a symbol to the world that although you have fallen, you can get up. You can live your dreams. Let me show you. Colossians 2.12 says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. 
buried, as you go down into the water, what is that? It's a picture of falling. It's a picture of deadness. It's a picture of, of, of brokenness. But when you go down in the water, we don't hold you down into the water and say, oh, I got a bad one here. No, let's keep them down. No. It says, and with him you were raised to new life. Why? Why can I get up? I mean, what I did, I did it. I hurt people around me. I made a selfish decision. It was wrong. It was bad. And I got caught. How in the world can I get up? How in the world can I live my dreams? How in the world can I accomplish my destiny and experience my purpose? Well, what does it say? I am raised to a new life because I trusted the mighty power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And the same power that brought him up out of the grave is available to me. It's available to you. Baptism is that picture. The world needs to know that. We need to be reminded that we can get up. There are a lot of mom and dads that are still on the ground. There are a lot of teenagers that are still on the ground. And they need to be reminded, and the way in which they are reminded is baptism. Baptism doesn't bring about the salvation, but it proclaims to the world that I will rise again. Romans 6, 4 says something similar. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. But just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we, now we also may have, what does it say? New lives. New lives. Right? A fresh start. A new beginning. We can dream again. We can believe again. We can have joy again. We can have peace again. Luke 3, 3 says, John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized. Why? To show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. The reason I talk about baptism and I teach about baptism, the reason we do everything we can to make it as easy as possible for you is because it is a proclamation of the power of God. Baptism doesn't bring salvation, but it's a picture of what God did in you. And because he did it in you, he can do it in me. It doesn't diss what your parents did if you were baptized as an infant. What did your parents do? You, you, you don't remember because it wasn't a decision you made. It was a decision they made for you. And they asked God to protect you and to watch over you. And they made a commitment that they were going to raise you in a way that would honor God. And you've come to a point in your life where you realize that Jesus did come and give his life for your screw-ups. And now, rather than trust yourself, you are trusting him. You are completing what was started when you were just an infant. It's a celebration that what your parents prayed for now has actually happened. See, baptism is something that happens after you've ra been raised up. You can't advertise that you can get up if you're still on the ground. It happens after salvation, not before. I was thinking about all that this week. And I was reminded of one of the guys I grew up with in, in Paragol. It's a small town, but we had a lot of schools, so there was a lot of competition. And, and one of the guys that I was friends with, didn't, he didn't go to my school. He went to Greene County Tech. His name was Brent. 
And he's one of those guys, you know how some guys, just, some people, everybody just likes, they're funny and everybody laughs. And so everybody just liked him from all, all the schools. He just, just liked him, hung out with him. We used to cruise from Dairy Queen to Sonic. And, and uh, he, he's just like, when he graduated, he became a car dealer. There are lots and lots of car dealers in Paragould, Arkansas. It seems like everybody has cars for sale in their front yard. And, but he came very successful. Got married, had kids. His kids got involved in horses, which are quite expensive. He got a nice house, nice cars. <clears throat> it seemed as if he was doing really, really well. And then just a few years ago, he fell. It seems that his success wasn't the result of um, cars that he had sold, but money he had taken. I mean, he blew it big time, and he was guilty. He had one of those big four-wheel drives like a lot of people in Arkansas have with the big tires and gun rack in the back. And one night, not long after this had happened, word had gotten out, article in the paper, small community. He drove out into the woods where they used to hunt deer and he took his life shot himself and he robbed his little kids of a father robbed his wife of a husband and I was thinking about that this week and I thought I wonder I wonder if when he was growing up he would have seen more people show compassion when somebody fell or forgiveness when somebody fell tenderheartedness or kindness when somebody fell if he wouldn't have given up. See, you grow up in a small town or a big family, you realize it's so easy for people to be judgmental. And he saw a lot of that, a lot of pointed fingers at different people when they would screw up or get skinned knees. And I just, I can't help but I wonder if he would have seen the scripture calls us to something different. If he'd have seen more of that, <clears throat> would he have continued? If he'd have seen more baptisms, right? The proclamation that you can get up, would that have made a difference? I, I don't know. But that's why this is important. It's not just important for today, but it's important for your children because they're going to fall. I know you think they're perfect, but your teacher knows they're not. They're going to fall. And when they fall, are they going to be reminded of all the times they saw mom and dad and aunt and uncle and sister and Susie and everybody pointing fingers and being critical and being judgmental? And are they going to begin to believe that that's what they're going to experience? Are they going to grow up in a home and in a church and an environment that when people fell, it's not as if their sin was discounted, but they were given compassion and tenderheartedness and forgiveness and love? Are they going to remember the baptisms that they've seen where those who were dead were made alive? Those who had fallen, they got up. It's a reason that if you, even if you've already been baptized, you need to go to the beach whenever we do a beach baptism. You need to stick around when we do them after services. Why? Because you need to be reminded because you're going to fall. You're going to hit the ground. You're going to skin your knees. And the enemy's going to whisper in your ear, you just ought to stay down. Your life is over. Your marriage is over. Your dreams are over. Your finances are over. And you need to remind yourself of all the times you've seen real people come up out of that water as a proxy. I may fall, but I will rise again. I will stand again. 
That's why it is so, so important. Would you bow your head? Father, I, I, I thank you. No way in the world do we deserve to be given a second chance, a new beginning. And yet that's the kind of God that you are. I pray that we would follow your example and not be judgmental, critical, sarcastic, negative. But instead we would be loving, kind-hearted, forgiving, tender. And thank you for lifting us up. And by your power, we we want to rise again. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, that's where it begins. And you can do that right there where you're sitting. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be salvaged, will be lifted up, will be put on solid ground, will be given a second chance and a new beginning. All you have to do is call on him right there where you're sitting or where you're watching online. Just say, God, I, I, I can't get up. I've tried, I've tried so many different ways to get back on my feet and I just keep falling, I just keep tripping and I'm asking you to do for me what I can't do for myself. I need a new beginning, a fresh start, a second chance. Transform me, forgive me. And the Bible says that whosoever calls will have eternal life, will have, will be raised. To their feet. So thank him with your own words. We thank you, God, for second chances. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God a hand, all right. Yeah.